everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Podside Picnic. Uh, this is Pete, as usual, and I am joined by P.W. Singer. Uh, he's a political scientist, international relations scholar. Uh, he's a contributing editor for Popular Science and uh, has published a couple of books. Specifically, the book we'll be talking about today is Burn In, but we'll be going all over the place. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm, you know, hanging in there in the midst of uh, pandemic social quarantine. Um, we're we're doing well uh, at the new. I jokingly call it the um, new home slash office slash elementary school. But but we're doing well. How about you? Oh, good, good. So you're uh, you're homeschooling as well right now. Yes, <laughs> we have oh, a um, uh, two elementary school boys. Um, and yeah, it's you know, I mean, it, it's been a challenge, but we're getting into the swing of things and. Uh, my, I would say, I'll share, I'll put it in quotation marks, secrets is <laughs> basically I've just been giving them um, every couple of days some kind of surprise junk food, um, something that they, you know, either love or that they haven't had before, trying to put a little uh, fun little surprise into their days that's unexpected. So, you know, it might be Cheetos, uh, or it might be you know, some uh, candy that I used to like from uh, the 1980s and ooh, we should try this. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're doing we're doing well, um, but it's, it's unprecedented times. It really is. And, you know, hey, whatever works, man. I, I've I know some people who uh, are high school age and what they've been told is, OK, you're you're graduated now. Don't worry. We'll just keep your grades where they are and you can take your AP tests if you want to. And I remember what I was like at that age, and that would have been like the worst possible thing to say to me at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, fortunately, they still will do mostly what I tell them um, yeah, in elementary school. I think that's that's the part that we're lucky about. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> so um, I just finished Burning, and um, it's it's a very interesting book in that it's a hybrid of two genre fiction types. And actually, the reviews really reflect that. Like, I've noticed, like, you, you get, uh, uh, you, well, actually, let, we'll, we'll get to the specifics of that into a second. But, like, it's a future shock novel, so it's sort of like Greg Bear's slant, where things are happening faster mm. and faster. But it's also a military thriller, like... Uh, well, I, I compare it to Tom Clancy, but that's because I haven't read a lot of, uh, of military thrillers. But uh, was this intentional? Do you set out to go in this direction? Or when you're talking about terrorism in the future, is that just where things need to go? Well, that's kind of a comparison to, to Bear and Clancy's. Um, uh, pretty awesome. Uh, so the, the concept of the book is that it's a smash up of a uh, novel 
and nonfiction. So it's a, a science fiction techno thriller. Uh, it's set in Washington, D.C., about a generation ahead. Uh, we follow a um, FBI agent who's been um, has a new partner, uh, been paired up with one of the first robotic systems. And they're on the hunt for a new kind of criminal, uh, a terrorist who's um, using technology in new ways to hold the city hostage. So it, uh, you know, is very much in that um, sci-fi genre. You know, you mentioned um, Bear. Uh, the two that were a little more top of mind um, for uh, myself and August Cole is, is my, my writing partner on it were um, actually a classic as uh, Asimov. Um, and if you think about iRobot, the series, um, how it's not a story about robotic rebellion. I'm going I'm to, you know, plot spoil that way. This is not another sure. story that is the robot, you know, gets smart, uh, wises up and then rises up. And, and that's, you know, an interesting, on the nonfiction side, we're on the 100 year anniversary of the creation of the word robot itself. It, it came out of sci-fi, it came out of play, uh, RUR in 1920. And ever since the way we've talked about robots has always been this idea of a robot revolt, you know, whether it's, um, back in RUR to, of course, you know, Terminator movies, you name it. So it, it's more like if you think about Asimov, um, an exploration of all the different ways that uh, robotics start to change us, but also and, and the world around us as they become more commonplace, but also exploring the relationship between the human and the robot. And what does that look like? Uh, the other sci-fi influence um, is, is Gibson. Uh, a little more modern. And by that, um, it's, you know, think about, you know, the guy who brought us cyberpunk. Um, yeah, you have super advanced technology, but it's still, uh, you still got the muck. So in our world, um, in Washington, D.C. of the future, yes, the FBI agent has, um, you know, augmented reality uh, that's lashed up to face recognition software that allows them to tap into a vast data net, but oh, by the way, they're still homeless sleeping on the street. Or oh, by the way, uh, the FBI data network, um, because it's been bought by a government acquisition system, uh, doesn't uh, work well with the DC, Washington DC police acquisition uh, acquired network. You know, you still have government bureaucracy in the future. Um, and that's what hits the second part of it and what makes this different. So, you know, hopefully it stands on its own as. Um, Fun sci-fi, uh, you know, drawing people in, giving them a, a real fast-paced journey. Um, but what's different is that it comes with 27 pages of endnotes. That is, it is sharing through the story over 300 explanations and predictions that are actually drawn from real-world research. So through following our character on this journey, um, as you see or hunt down this terrace, you actually learn real world stuff. How does AI work? What's everyone from Amazon's plans for drones to uh, Washington, D.C. police department's plans for face recognition software? Um, so all this stuff that might seem like sci-fi and reads like sci-fi, here's the footnote to tell you that it's real. It's drawn from the real world. And, um, you know, go, go back to what uh, we were talking about um, as, as, as parents. Um, I sort of make the joke that it's a little bit like sneaking fruit into the smoothie. 
you get the entertainment, you get the enjoyment, but it also gives you something else. Uh, it also um, equips you a little bit better to uh, deal with this real world that's coming. And so it's a smash up of these two worlds. And that's what makes it uh, fun and different. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I really thought about as I was going through this novel, which made it an additional challenge, I think, is that like, like you were talking about, like from a Gibson perspective, this is not necessarily a great place. It's a real place. It's, it's where we could end up. So as a result, I like there were moments when I found myself being sympathetic to the people who wanted to blow it up. I mean, does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's another thing that we tried to, um, uh, you know, again, this, you're, you're serving um, two masters as a writer of, of experiment, uh, experimenting with this new type. Um, you're, of course, serving the, the nonfiction side. Um, it makes it a heck of a lot harder when you can't just, you know, wave your hand at something and say, you know, oh, the, the, the hero pulls out you know, uh, uh, magic technology that defeats all, all enemies or, um, you know, uh, people who work in cybersecurity often laugh about how, um, you know, in the TV shows and movies, the hacker is always, you know, at the keyboard and they go, clicky clack, I'm in, you know, and it's like, yep. no, um, in, in our book, there's no vaporware. Every technology has to already exist or already be at the prototype stage. Um, and then, uh, even the attacks that take place, um, someone has to have already done them somewhere or shown off at a hacker convention that it's possible. And, you know, to go back to Gibson, um, there's a fictional side to this, but it, there's a saying that he, he, he says it's a lot of times used in the real world is that the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. And so one of those uneven distributions is that, um, I think we can reasonably project that uh, the future world will still have inequality and it might be um, economic inequality. Uh, and you can use the fiction to kind of paint that, um, you know, there's one scene where the character goes into union station and she's looking around and she can, she, you know, some people have augmented reality and other people are still um, looking down at their screens and she's like, that's how you tell who's wealthy or not, who's got the latest new tech and who's still using the tech of our generation, right? Mm -hmm. um, you might have inequality uh, out in the streets. Yeah, you'll have um, you know, driverless cars and, and we're moving towards, if, again, you document the plans of everyone from Amazon to Uber to the US Air Force. You'll start to have, uh, they, they jokingly call them flying cars, but they're basically... Uh, it's a, almost like a ta the plan is really for a, a kind of taxi cab system that would take people from a, a distant airport into um, a city, a little bit like the way wealthy now use helicopters in Manhattan to get from the airport in. You'll have sort of um, uh, passenger versions of that. So yeah, you have that, but they'll fly over like a homeless encampment. And so, and again, that to me shows um, one, it shows the, the, the real world that looms, um, we are going through not just in, you know, pandemic, but a broader change in our economy. AI and automation is rewiring the economy and there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And that transition is a major challenge. 
but then it also gives you this incredibly rich environment to play with as a as a sci-fi writer because um you put your characters in that space and you you know like in a Gibson sense you've got that uneven distribution and what does that mean and how does that drive everyone from your hero and her family life to the villain side um i really both in fiction i don't enjoy i'll I'll reveal i don't enjoy when the villain is um you know twirls his mustache and is evil for evil's sake um i'd rather than be rich and have depth um and this also parallels the real world even the most evil people they're the heroes in their own mind right they they think what they're doing is somehow for the good even if it's sometimes the most awful things and we we can see this throughout history right and sure. so in what we play with is um the villain again you know I don't want to reveal too much but he has an ideology that I think a lot of readers might kind of nod their head or at least find it a little bit empathetic, but maybe he's just taken it that one step too far. Um, but that to me makes the cat and mouse between the two um, a little bit better. Oh, by the way, you know, your hero, um, flawed heroes are to me more interesting and more realistic than, you know, perfect heroes. So, you know, our hero um, occasionally uh, makes mistakes. Oh, by the way, she has a bad back. So, you know, she's running down um, uh, a bad guy in a certain moment and her sciatic nerve starts firing. Uh, guess what? That stuff happens in the real world. I think it also makes her more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it is one of the great things about, about this book, I think, is that it is not, uh, it's not just a polemic. Like it's very easy to take something that you're 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 doing along these lines and paint a picture of the future and use it to make just an argument. And I think there are some arguments being made here, but you're also trying to describe possibilities. You're you're being a little more flexible with it, and you're allowing things that you don't necessarily agree with to come into the mix. And I think I think it makes for a richer book. Oh, thank you. And that that um, to me again shows the value of this sort of two-handed approach of um, the blend of, you know, sci-fi, but also drawing it from the real world. Um, I think it will both ring more true to people. Um, it makes it, uh, I believe when you, when you fill a, a world out that way, it makes it um, more engrossing. Uh, it makes the, the journey that you follow a character on, you know, that much more interesting. Um, I think it also makes the, you know, thrills and chills hit you a little harder because uh, you can then, you know, that moment that reads like some kind of, um, if it's a good one, oh, that's really cool. That new tech sounds awesome. You can go see the footnote to go, ooh, that is real. I'm going to see that. Um, or, oh, my goodness, I have this moment that just played out that, you know, seems like some kind of, you know, uh, whatever out of a movie. Footnote, oh, my goodness, that actually could happen. That really is a vulnerability in you know this certain system uh i don't want to give too much away but um uh we found some pretty crazy cybersecurity vulnerabilities uh that you know range from things you could do at an individual level to a smart home so you get these new kind of crimes that that you know are, are again feel like they're straight out of science fiction but they're becoming real or it might be something that one bad guy could do to an entire city that you know uh, uh 
a country like the Soviet Union couldn't have pulled off 30, you know, 40 years back. And yet you'll have this ability going forward. And I think it goes back to that notion of sort of the, the twin side of technology. You know, every technology, whether it was the very first stone that someone picked up or um, to give it a rhyme, a drone, um, they've always been used for good and bad. Uh, and that duality of tech to me is like at the heart of science fiction, right? You know, it's, it's the, the, the wonder and the horror is flows through all of the different sci-fi authors that, that we've talked about, right? Whether it's, you know, Gibson or Bear or, you know, uh, Asimov or, you know, Octavia Butler or whatever, name your favorite uh, writer. It's always got that sort of, you know, twin nature. One of the things that's been in the news recently is uh, how uh, different terrorist groups have used uh, Gmail. Like they they type up a message to somebody else, they save it as an email draft without sending it, and somebody logs into that and is able to get the information without sending an email, so it leaves a different sort of trail. And you made some decisions like that in this book, I noticed. It, one, one of the things was using... Uh, a video game as a communication network? Was that based on uh, things you were seeing out there in the world or was it more extrapolative? Because I thought it was a pretty neat idea. Uh, that actually is something that has... So both what you talked about, um, using uh, the draft section of um, email as a way to, to share um, information back and forth without sending it, so to speak, to people have access to the same account. Um, that's been done by all sorts of actors uh, all over the place, um, you know, both in the field of terrorism to just people trying to keep some kind of, you know, personal or family secret. Um, and, but on the video gaming platform, uh, yes, uh, that um, we've seen that both used as a, as a communication and coordination tool. Um, also, even for some, unfortunately, as a, as a recruiting ground um, by uh, extremist groups. Um, it's obviously, look, I mean, I'm, I, I love my, my games too, and, and my kids play them. It's, it's a minuscule percentage use of it, but really what we're talking about is every single communication platform of some kind, um, whether it was, you know, early on people passing physical letters back and forth to now social network, um, DMs to video gaming platforms to moving into uh, virtual worlds, uh, they've all been utilized, again, to go back to what we're talking about, for, for good and bad. And um, so we play with that in the book. And in particular, uh, you get a sense of what's coming next in video gaming, but also how different uh, extremist groups will use those platforms and um, one of the things that that's, that's kind of connecting to that, I, again, I think is um, really fun, scary for sci-fi, but also something that plays out in the real world, too, is um, the technologies of today, but even more so tomorrow, are not um, the equivalent of the atomic bomb and just, you know, only a couple of actors in the world have them, only the greatest of, of state powers have them. Instead, they'll be in everybody's hands. Uh, artificial intelligence is not going to be something that only the Soviet Union and, and the US have. AI is something that we'll all have. 
and it will be applied into our homes. It will be applied into business. It's being used by the military. Um, that also means that there's a bad guy use, utilization of it as well. And so, um, again, that's a big change that, you know, I work with military and, and intelligence. I mean, that's a big change that they're trying to wrap, wrap their head around. But it's also the sci-fi side of it um, takes you into a whole different place. Yeah, I, I honestly I, I think about that a lot in terms of uh, uh, blockading, if you'll permit me. It's like blockades and economic sanctions are considered to be a um, uh, well, not not military intervention. And one of the reasons I believe that is true is that there are only a few countries with the economic wherewithal to do it. But then you look at things like uh, cyber warfare, which is definitely considered terrorism. And one of the reasons it is, is that anybody can pick up those tools. And I'm not, I'm not proposing a solution and I'm not even complaining. I'm just saying there's, there, there does seem to be a relationship in like the accessibility of the tool and, and how we regard it. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you can also think about what you raised in, in another way. And we, we played with this um, in a prior book called Ghost Fleet. Um, Ghost Fleet, the, the subtitle of it was a novel of the next world war. And um, what it looked at was a uh, war set in, you know, 15 years out between the U.S. and China. Um, and it hit what you brought up, um, that one of the key differences of um, great powers going to war compared to, you know, whether it was real World War One and World War Two, or imagined ones like um, Tom Clancy's Red Storm Rising, is that you had um, nations that depended on the other in a new way. And that meant that there were um, new vulnerabilities and even new forms of attack. Uh, you know, to put it directly, uh, your supply chain um, uh, in, in the U.S., even down to the microchips inside jet fighters and Navy ships, was wrapped up within the state that is your strategic competitor. And so you play out this what if of, okay, what would that look like in a war? And could you see even new kinds of hacks that are hacks not about um, stealing information, but we call them hardware hacks, where you uh, basically turn off a system, um, cause physical change. And, you know, again, it, it made for, uh, I don't know, you know, it made for an exciting um, book, uh, you know, new kinds of attacks playing out in war. But what was um, pretty cool about it, and going back to this impact of fiction and nonfiction, is that it actually sparked a series of real world investigations um, uh, to try and fix some of these vulnerabilities that we played the sci-fi out of. Um, and so... This is a little bit of the difference of this approach of um, bringing it together is that, you know, often people talk about sci-fi as, um, you know, it's entertainment, but also prediction. And we've got a lot of that. But the real cool thing that you can do is prevention. That is, you can portray a future and say, do you want this to come true? Uh, did you, did you enjoy this nightmare scenario? And then people actually take action to fix the thing so that it doesn't come true. Um, and what was, what was, so it was sort of strange with Ghost Fleet. Um, on, on one hand, uh, it, uh, how to put this, um, it sparked these Navy investigations and fixed things. On the other hand, 
um, the Navy actually named a $3.6 billion program Ghost Fleet. So our book got a military program named after it, which is something we definitively did not predict in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this kind of ties into something I was wondering, because a lot of our authors that we we talk to on the show – um, they're either scientists who get the writing bug or they're writers who get more and more into science. Your route seems very different in that, like, you you consult for the U.S. military and the CIA. You were a, a, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute. Uh, what made you look at the path you were on and say, hey, let's let's do books about this, what this will look like? Are you trying to reach a larger audience or like what what tactically? What's your goal here? So the start of it was, my guess, the same experience that a lot of the listeners had. Um, growing up, uh, I was the kid who had um, Star Wars uh, bed sheets, um, and uh, if you handed me a stick um, within, you know, a, a couple of minutes, I would be having a lightsaber duel out in the backyard. Uh, by myself. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, um, and so, you know, that was, I've always loved this space. Um, I went on to um, work in the realm of, of nonfiction, as you mentioned. I did a, a series of books on topics that range from uh, the advent of um, robotics uh, to cybersecurity, um, you name it. And, um, you know, I, I ended up and still do consult for the U S military and and intelligence community and all that stuff. But I actually also started consulting for Hollywood and video games. Um, uh, what are ones I can talk about? Like uh, call of duty series. Um, I I was an advisor on that. And what was funny is, um, uh, and, and there was TV shows and stuff. And I, I was brought in as, you know, they call you like a technical advisor. Um, you're, you're the guy who, you know, you, they say, okay, what are, what are going to be the, the weapons of the future or, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Um, and you're doing that. But I was ended up giving on these projects, besides the technical advice, I would give um, script and plot feedback. Uh, like, you know, why is your character doing this? Why don't they do that instead? Um, and uh, some of the writers and producers would say, you know, Thank you very much. Stay in your lane. <laughs> you know, like sure. we don't need it. But there was actually a couple who uh, were um, like, "Wow, this is really useful. We, we this this is good stuff." Um, and one who had been um, behind a number of the the recent um, blockbuster superhero movies, I uh, was like, "Dude, you can do this. Uh, you shouldn't just be." you know, consulting, you should try your own hand at this. You're, you're giving me good stuff. And so that was actually the spark to take that plunge um, into moving from the advice side to writing it. Um, and the same sort of experience that happened with my um, writing partner on this, uh, August Cole, he's also from the, the, the policy world, so to speak. He had been a Wall Street Journal uh, reporter for defense issues. That's how we got to know each other. Um, I was actually uh, one of his sources. Uh, he'd interviewed me, but and we we became friends along the way. Um, we're, we're similar personalities. We're both at the time we were both new dads, 
And um, he left the newspaper business to start um, writing in other realms. And so what happened is that uh, I came up with a nugget of a um, story uh, that I wanted to tell. Um, going back to what, what you had referenced, um, I, I really wanted to give people the feeling that I had had as a kid reading books in my mom's station wagon on the way to the beach for summer vacation. I would get into a book and, um, and that was back, you know, I'm going to date myself. Some people may remember this, but like back when, when you didn't have to wear your seatbelts, you would just ride in, 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 in the back. Uh, um, and I'd read a book and, and every so often, you know, I'd get a little sick and, and, uh, but you know, I'd get so engrossed in, in novels. And that was the original idea of, um, you know, I wanted to give people that kind of experience. But what happened, and August talks about, he had the same thing. For him, it was, you know, I went to the beach. I was East Coast. He, he, he grew up in um, Washington State. He, he'd go to a lake. Um, uh, but the point was that what happened is that we, we wrote this novel, but um, we ended up putting the in-note references in it. And, the, um, and we did it because, well, that's the way that we'd sort of been trained coming out of nonfiction land. You show your work. Um, and then also we uh, thought that it would make the, the persuading the, the publisher, hey, you know, it's not just us dreaming it. This, this stuff is real, uh, which is going to make it more exciting. And they, they bought it. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, not just the book, but they, they bought the concept of it. Um, and what ended up happening is, um, those footnotes, uh, drove it home in a way that, that hadn't played out before in novels. Now, again, it's, I, I need to be clear here and your listeners are probably like, oh, but is it sci-fi or is it not? It's both. Right. <laughs> and that, that sure. does make it a challenge. Um, uh, it's certainly a heck of a lot harder to, to write it that way. Um, it'd just be so much easier to, to not have to do the research too. Um, it also, uh, sometimes you get into, you know, categorization issues where, uh, you know, someone will be like, uh, I had a, a, a magazine outlet was like, you know, we only, um, they were like a policy world one. Um, and they're like, you know, we, we don't, this is sci-fi. Uh, we don't review that. And I'm like, yeah, it's sci-fi, but it also has this real world stuff baked into it. So, you know, Pick which side you want. I, I don't care. You know, you, you can say you just want, you know, go back to the smoothie. For some people, I just like it because it tastes good. Other people, I drink my smoothie because it's healthy for me. Pick whichever side that you want. Um, hopefully it hits, hits both. But uh, that's how we got into it. And, you know, again, the, the hope, um, you asked, you know, what's the hope with it? The hope is, um, I think, encapsulated by, uh, there was one early review that was really kind but it meant so much else with everything playing out right now with the pandemic. Um, the reviewer, it was actually from The Economist, you know, The Economist magazine. It's not your normal sci-fi outlet. Um, sure. They said uh, they, they liked it and they complimented it as, quote, escapist and relevant, end quote. And that, like, meant so much more now than, like, ever before, right? Because it feels like, you know, we all need something escapist, but – the fact that it was also, hey, this is relevant, this is useful, um, was also, uh, I think, important. Oh, absolutely. So the, 
T- talking about this, you, you've talked a lot here about your your work with uh, with August Cole and how it started. Uh, it's it's very interesting to me because you don't see a lot of two author teams. Like the, I can think of Niven and Purnell off the top of my head, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like not many others in sci-fi. How do you divide the labor? It's hard enough to write a book solo. Yeah, it's funny, and, and it, it, you know maybe it's just because we we came into it not even um, thinking it that way. Um, but you know, it's odd that we have that rarity in the book writing space, but in other spaces, um, it's, it's more typical to work as teams. Um, in, you know, think of all the great sci-fi TV shows that we love. All of them have writers rooms, right? They, they work as teams, whether it's, you know, insert, uh, your favorite here, whether it's the whole, you know, the different Star Treks um, to, you know, uh, Battlestar Galactica. I'm giving away sort of what I love. Um, sure. My, my, my es- escapism right now in, in, you know, the land of coronavirus um, is I'm revisiting all the uh, older Star Trek uh, series, um, you know, uh, Deep Space Nine and Enterprise and, and, and the like. Um, not just the new stuff that's streaming. And, and I think it's, it's not just because it's enjoyable, but it's like, I, I love them when I was a kid. So it's like kind of putting on a, 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 a nice, comfortable old sweatshirt mentally. You know? sure. um, but so in, 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 we have writer's rooms in um, sci-fi, uh, TV shows and movies. We write um, software together. Um, why is it with books that the... Uh, mode is that you're supposed to like go off to some cabin in the woods six months alone and create it. Um, so, you know, it, we, we do it this way. Um, it works for us. Uh, how do we do it? Um, we literally will, uh, now that August lives in a different state than I do. Um, so sometimes it's in person, but a lot of times it's remote and, uh, we put it on speakerphone and we've both got our laptops open and we've got a share document and both of us have access to that document. And, you know, we'll talk out loud and, and, and we figured out that like, as one person is talking out loud with an idea, the other person types away. Um, and, uh, we do that in, in terms of everything from the outlining, um, to then when it starts writing, we just exchange drafts back and forth and back and forth. So it's not a, um, you do this scene and I'll do that scene. It's more um, to make a, a, a tech reference. It's like 3D printing, uh, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And then at the end of it, you get this completely uh, new, more complex thing out of it. That that makes a lot of sense. I, I'd have gone with uh, uh, like uh, a pearl being formed by an oyster, but 3D printing is a is a good way to look at it. <laughs> We're sci-fi, so yeah, that's that's a super kind compliment of you. But uh, so you know, I went with the the. the so that's, you're the sci-fi host. I'm I'm supposed to be the one. <laughs> that, doing that's different. fair. <laughs> okay, so uh, based on this work, uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, thought and concern about ubiquitous technology and the Internet of Things. And uh, artificial intelligence, particularly weak AI, and where these things overlap, but it's not—it's not terror. I mean, like the book isn't suggesting we go live on a mountaintop and eat lentils. 
So do you feel that this sort of weak AI is inevitable? And do you think it's desirable? And like, what are the risks that really jump out at you without spoiling the book, of course? So essentially what we do is take every technology today, prototype, et cetera, and, um, you know, either play it forward in terms of uh, it's going to be distributed more widely um, or it will be slightly more advanced. The prototype is now uh, commonplace, right? And that's true whether you're looking at a um, system that's, uh, you know, uh, um, I, we won't spoil anything. The, the opening scene um, has uh, a... Um, they're outside Washington DC's uh, train station, um, and they're trying. There's been a report of a of a terrorist incident at it, and so you've got you follow this this team of police and FBI agent as they go into it, and um, you have everything from uh, in in the air a, a delivery drone is flying overhead to there is a um, small drone that's. Um, uh, driving down the sidewalk um, and doing a delivery that way. Well, both those systems, you have the footnote to um, Amazon's uh, patent for delivery drones. So it's the design that we describe isn't just, you know, cool sci-fi. It's like literally that's Amazon's plan. Um, the one driving down the sidewalk, you know, and sorry, as an aside, this is what makes it so I think relevant to today is that the one driving on the sidewalk uh, actually um, has been deployed in Washington, D.C. right now to deliver groceries as a response to coronavirus. So, you know, it was something seemingly futuristic and it's, it's already here. Um, the train station has face recognition, uh, augmented reality, et cetera. So what I'm getting at is that, you know, you, you, you populate this world with the technologies that are planned to be there. But you know, going back to that kind of idea of um, Gibson, um, or if you're a military person, uh, you would you would reference Clausewitz here. Um, not everything works as planned, right? So yes, you have um, driverless cars and still old school driven cars, but you still have a traffic jam because the driverless cars that were supposed to solve all traffic jams, well, guess what? They're owned by different companies that are competing. And oh, by the way, you have real world people too. So um, I love that part of it. Like the, the idea that the cars were deliberately incompatible. I'm like, yes, that feels right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, that would never happen. Yeah, that would happen. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, to this, this nature of like optimism or pessimism on it, um, it's just what's going to be. Um, it, it is what's going to be. Now, I hopefully through the book, people get a better understanding of that world. And then maybe it allows us to um, uh, head off some of the, the worst sides of it. Um, the, you know, if it, it, it's like, uh, if you don't like the the what if, if this felt like a black mirror you know uh, technology or scene, then maybe you need to uh, push in this kind of privacy protection for it. Or if um, this scene of uh, you know this catastrophic thing that you know looks like one of the biblical plagues playing out in reality happens, 
well, maybe you ought to ensure that that vulnerability uh, that allows it to happen gets fixed. Um, so that to me is, again, you know, you, the, when you say what's coming in the weak AI, well, we, we know all these different aspects of it are coming. Um, I, maybe a different way of putting it, and this is kind of another sci-fi-esque, is that um, Arthur C. Clarke was a uh, great scientist and an even greater science fiction writer. And um, I'm going to paraphrase him, but, you know, essentially said, once you start moving a couple of generations ahead, you move from the realm of science more into everything seems like magic, right? Um, And we deliberately choose to play before it moves into that realm of magic. Um, It's no, here's, here's the real science, but guess what? It, it, it's sci-fi coming true. Uh, and um, that means, you know, I go back to that means you, you can have some really, really fun stories to tell, but in a different kind of way, because it's all set in our real world. It's all set in places that you will find familiar. Um, and that to me makes it, you know, just a, a more exciting, it hits you harder. So, Peter, based upon that, I'm, I'm sorry, PW. Uh, uh, when I, I, I have a uh, an invitation for you because I think this would be really interesting. If we say, if you're still writing and I'm still podcasting in ten years' time, would you like to revisit this book? Because I think it would be very interesting to say, okay, <laughs> we've moved this far forward. Where did we end up? Where are the similarities? Yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a, we'll tell our, uh, and here's, you know, to illustrate it, you know, how we can make sure that we, we keep that date. We will tell our um, AI infused uh, schedulers that are already woven into our email <laughs> um, and they will uh, keep that. Um, one of the things that we've been doing online though to, uh, is already um, anytime we see something in the real world that plays out in the book, we've been marking it um, with hashtag burn in book. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty freaky. Uh, some things that we knew would, you know, happen, whatever, uh, uh, a certain plan from this company has come to fruition. Um, other ones of it, uh, you know, there was a certain, um, I don't want to give too much away. There was a certain kind of cyber attack that our bad guy does. And um, between when we turn the book in and it's coming out in a week, that type of cyber attack just hit Israel. Um, I'll, I'll plot spoil a little bit. Uh, it, it, um, the Israeli Water Authority uh, sent out an alert that said, uh, someone's into our systems and not stealing information. They're actually trying to change uh, the the chemical setting, um, the chlorine level, uh, essentially to poison the water through cyber means. Watch out. Um, now, in our book, you, it's not chlorine. It's something else that causes a much different, um, spookier effect on, on the Potomac River. But the point is, is this thing that seemed really sci-fi-esque 10 years out it already happened even before we could get the book out. 
Um, we're lucky enough it didn't happen inside the U.S. And, and the Israelis were also able to detect. But it points to kind of um, maybe we don't even have to wait 10 years for this sci-fi stuff. No, that's that's very true. That is uh, – so I, I suppose we're at the point where I should talk to our audience about uh, – how to get the book and so on um, linked to uh, this episode and also on the Podside Twitter account will be a link to burninbook.com, which will have information uh, and uh, it'll have uh, various reviews, which I strongly encourage you to check out because like it's, we're getting positive reviews on this book, both from the science fiction side and the military side. And that's, a, that's sort of a fascinating fusion uh, but can we talk a little bit about uh, where they can buy the book and when they can buy the book, PW? Yeah, yeah. And, but I want to hit that review side because it, it is, um, yes. you know, as a, as a writer, um, you know, you, you, you spend years on a project and, and you, you know, don't know how it's going to be received. You sort of toss it over the wall. Um, <laughs> and uh, what's been so amazing is the, not just the really uh, kind reviews, but like, I will. I will fight you, uh, arguing that 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 it's the um, most bizarrely wonderful cross of reviews. So you know, you have um, on one hand the you know creator of shows like uh, Lost and Watchmen, uh, writers of the new Star Trek movies, um, some of the really awesome sci-fi book writers. Uh, but then right after them is like the head of the U S Navy, uh, the head of the CIA, um, or, you know, Gary Kasparov, um, who, you know, yeah, that would leaped out at me. Yeah. If any, if anyone's, you know, uh, an expert on what it's like to deal with AI, you know, it's him. Um, <laughs> but the point, like, these are not people who normally meet in the same place and yet they each sort of drew something from the book. And that was just like, that was so awesome. Um, to, to, to get that kind of reception. Um, so yeah, so the book, um, you can check it out on the website. It's uh, burninbook.com. And um, the title, it doesn't mean you're burning the book. It's um, a burn-in is actually a term for when you deliberately push a technology to the breaking point in order to learn from it. Um, uh, so, you know, a concept that we play with. But So at burninbook.com, but more importantly, you can get it just anywhere that you normally get books. Um, uh, right now, you know, online, all the big platforms, the Amazons, the Barnes and Nobles. Um, there's also some really cool uh, uh, platforms that are supporting uh, independent bookstores um, and everything that's going on right now. Um, IndieBound and then another is called Bookshop. Uh, so, you know, I'd encourage people to go to, to whichever uh, and, and hopefully give the book a chance. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, well, uh, any final thoughts? I really appreciate your time today. I think this has been a great episode. No, I, I just want to thank you for, for having me on and um, both you and everybody else out there. Stay well. You too. Yeah, stay safe, everybody. <laughs>